Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Father, we thank you for the day, and Lord, we thank you that the day in which you've allowed us to be alive. Lord, it's a privilege. It really is a wonderful privilege, Lord. I know myself as much as I would have loved to kind of been here to follow you around face to face uh, when you're here. But Lord, to be allowed the honor to be alive and serving you on the front lines in these last hours of of history. To think, Lord, that soon uh, it's over. And Lord, uh, to be serving you, Lord, we ask that you administer to us. Strengthen us, Lord, in the hours and and what our focus is who we are. It needs to be almost redefined (laughs) uh, day by day. And so speak to us and strengthen us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is a joy to be here. Lewis did, uh, he picked me up yesterday in uh, Sacramento. We drove down uh, last night uh, from the airport. And, uh, you know, the older you get, you realize we've been friends. I can't remember exactly how long, but it's I was thinking over 40 years, and I was sitting there and realized it's closer to 50. And, uh, but what dear, dear friends, you know, in the body of Christ uh, that, that you have that are uh, so wonderful. And I look at Damien and Karen, and, and just, it, it's, it's incredible. It really is uh, something new. When I went on and felt called into ministry, I had no idea. You know, you're just thinking of who you are and where you're going and what you're called to. But to one day look around and realize the blessing of relationships that he gives you, it's just, uh, it's, it's quite wonderful. So anyway, turn to Psalm 19, if you would. And I want to look at this psalm. I think it's, it's a, a powerful one. Uh, they all are, of course, but uh, something I think is so often we're looking desperately for directions. <laughs> and I think sometimes the body of Christ, that's all that's going on in the world right now. And it's just incredible to see, we don't need to rehearse any of it, but what's gone on just in the last uh, year or so, uh, you know, in the world, whether we look at Afghanistan, what's going on in Burma, what's going on in the Middle East, what's uh, going on still with China and Korea. And we look at, of course, at our borders, we look at our economy, we look at the riots in the inner cities. We look at uh, literally our government being turned upside down uh, and everything that, uh, uh, you know, last days men shall call evil good and good evil. And, and, and there, it, it's like it's moving at such a rapid pace. And, uh, but the, uh, the one thing that I'm actually kind of grateful for a little bit uh, with the present administration and leadership we have going on throughout the country, I think, all the way from Washington, D.C. to uh, the state and our, you know, city councils, that they have really, I think, moved up the return of Christ dramatically. And uh, so... We should be very grateful for them. We've been praying for this. <laughs> well, they've just put us in overdrive. We're moving really fast towards it. Anyway, here, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. You know, when you look at David and you kind of follow him, which most of us have, you know, through the years, just whether reading the Psalms, uh, you realize that David maybe probably is a very young man probably out there just tending his father's flocks and, and, and through the night, you know, there and looking at the heavens, looking at the stars. Uh, he, he makes so many references. He loved nature. 
He refers to it in many, many ways in his psalms and things. And he loved the Word of God. You realize that these two volumes almost, these two texts, you know, he had this way of looking and comparing and and compiling them seemingly together and seeing, you know, that he could, the the contrast and the comparisons uh, that were in the two. And so he referred back and forth to them uh, in in such wonderful and powerful ways. But here he, he starts off this psalm by telling us the heavens, they declare the glory of God. And here as he, as he looks there, he just looks at creation itself. What a teacher creation is. What an instructor it is. Uh, as he's just kind of there, perhaps all through his life there, of course, growing up. And, and you know, the, the, you, you had very little you, you light that, that you would ever have at night. You had to work at it to create some sort of a fire or something. But, you know, the darkness and the nights, you know, were... Uh, awesome there in so much of the world that has no natural light kind of around it going on or artificial light or electric light or other things and and the heavens would be quite you know open to them all the time but here David was somebody he looks here at the he's got this analogy he's going to build in this psalm between the heavens and the word of God and he, and he begins there by saying the heavens declare. Now that's a, that's a progressive word. It means, the heavens, it means they declaring, they go on. They're unstopping in their declaration of it. It's continuous every moment. There, the heavens have this constant declaration of power, of wisdom, of magnificence, of goodness, of the glory, of just glory itself. He, did, he, he could just lay out under them, you know, through his life and just always this sense of glory of creation itself. Of looking at it, and uh, you know, for a lot of people, and I think a lot of of Israel, a lot of the the, the, the people themselves, they needed uh, declarations all the time to kind of encourage them and get them up and get them going on and get them motivated. Uh, but but so much of what they depended upon, they were the momentary times of glory, you might say, or the momentary uh, miraculous things that would happen. Many of them they depended upon, you know, when water would come out of the rock and, oh, there's the Lord. It's awesome. They're reminded of him or the river, you know, was open and they walked through or the manna came out of heaven or the quail came out of sky, but the quail would come out and the sky would close. The water would come out and the rock would stop. Uh, it, its flow. It would come and it would go. Each thing, it had its starting point and it stopped. And for a moment, they saw something of the miraculous power and the glory of God. And they seemed to require that a lot. But, but David didn't. David needed no rock. He needed no river. He needed no manna, manna out of the sky or quail, you know, or, or something there. David had the constant source of the heavens himself. He looked at the glory that was there within it, the divine glory and grandness of it. He needed no mere, I need another miracle today. I need to have something there that gives me some sense of an assurance. No, David, all he had to do was gaze upward. He could look there and just say, the heavens are declaring unendingly so powerfully there. And, and I think so many, we're living in a world today where more and more people are desperately looking for some sense of guidance or stability or hope. But here David teaches us, look upward. Just look up. Look beyond the immediate, the things around you. And look there, there's something there. And he goes on, he says, it's not just simply the glory of the heavens uh, there. But he says, it's the glory of God. The heavens declare not just glory. Wow, isn't that glorious? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that wonderful? You know, when we would look at it and take it in. But no, it speaks specifically 
of the glory of, of the creator, of God speaking into, into existence. It itself was the greatest and the grandest argument uh, there of, any in, of an intelligent planning, uh, you know, controlling a conscious creator behind all of it, holding it all together, maintaining its course. That there was something there that as far as I think as David would say, no, no unprejudiced person could have possibly looked at just up at the sky and not see something of God's glory and be reminded of it. You almost have to shut down something within the system to see this and not have it say that the, the, the heavens declare God. They just declare who he is. His unending presence, his power, his, his magnificence. And it's no mere hint or little suggestion there. It's an unmistakable declaration. Powerfully, unendingly declaring and going on. But not only does he do that, but then he goes on and he says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. He then goes from one extreme to another. He then goes to hear God who measures out the heavens in a span. To think of the Lord just flinging the stars into the far corners of the night, placing everyone wherever he wanted them, calling them by name. And you would think of that genius and that strength, that arm, that hand that could hold them and measure them all out. And yet at the same time, the firmament showeth his handiwork. He goes from the infinite almost to the incredibly finite. He goes down to the simple detail. The firmament showeth his handiwork, this, this little planet that we live on as we look around this and we see there's something of the of the detail something there in the littlest flower the smallest little thing of something there that this you would think a hand that bulky that strong you know that 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 capacity how could it you ever put something in his hand and have it make something so minute and so magnificent and so beautiful when you would just look there. Not at, at creation as a whole, but now just our little world. And looking around and seeing the, the beauty, the touch. My wife, uh, when she was growing up, she had these little porcelain dolls and ballerinas and things. And we still, when we had boys, she had to hide all that stuff and put it all away. And then uh, they get married and go, then they get their kids, and now she has to put it all away again. But she still has, we have a little hall place where and she keeps some of it out there. But she's got these little porcelain like ballerinas. And you look at the detail that's in there, like in their little ballerina dresses there. And you, there's somebody there that, that almost like the little silk. And it is so magnificent. You think, what kind of hand could do that? And yet here, you know, David looks at the heavens, declare the glory of God, the magnificence of him. And yet the smallest detail he's intricately involved in. He's the, down, down to the, the minutest, littlest thing. It seems that it's unseen to maybe the natural eye. It's seen to him. It's something he's totally aware of. I mean, some of the things about the word, that when the Bible tells us the Lord number, knows the number of hairs on our head, we would think, well, that's kind of silly, isn't it? Every time we comb our hair, he's got to do a recount. You know, I mean, if he really, I mean, what, and it doesn't say he could know this if he wanted. No, he knows them. And you would think, God, don't you have other things to think about? You know, in this, but it just shows that if God, the most irrelevant, insignificant piece of our life, there to know that and to be aware of that, what does He not know of our thoughts? You know, before we think them, what is, about what is going on within our heart and within our life of what He sees, and uh, and and the, and, and the way that. that, that that he, that he is. It's just he's, he's, he's seeing creation, but in it, he's obviously seeing God. 
And then he goes on and he does. He's now bringing down somewhat of the, but another step of looking at it. Day unto day at her speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. Here, this, the, the, the suggestion, when, it, when it's talked about uttering speech, the concept here that's in it is the suggestion of a pouring out or, or a welling over. Almost day in a day, it just wells over, it pours out, you know, with, with speech. And then he says, and through the nights, there, uh, there, it, it still continues to flow, but in different ways. He looks there, and he says, day in a day, our speech, night in a night, showeth knowledge. Have you ever realized that you see far more at night than you do during the day. Far more. You know, at day, you know, we just see something of our little teeny galaxy that we live in. At nighttime, we, we, you know, we see something of the 88 known, you know, named constellation and associations of stars. But here we're looking at light years, untold light years out into creation there. And at day, we're just our little teeny galaxy, but, but at night... We see far more. And so it is as well with spiritual living. You know, in the sense there, during the day, we, you know, we walk around. We, we find our immediate step. Where it is that we've got to go and what we do and in walking through the day, so to speak, you might say, you know, and things. But it, it, at night, there is when we learn far more. Day in a day at our speech. The next word, the next deed, the next activity, day by day. But, but you learn, not night and at night, knowledge. You learn far more at night. You learn far more about God in the dark hours, in the troubling times, in the difficult times, in the difficult times of trial and of testing and of pressure. Learning to wait upon him, hopefully to get guidance through the day. But at the same time, they, the, the, the two require one another. They're, they're created there to work with one another and to gel with one another. And he says, there is no speech nor tongue where their voice is not heard. In other words, there the whole world going through such hard times there, but it's something there that the leaders need. They should be, we should all be ones that have learned in darkness. We've learned in the dark times. We learned, you know, what, what people kind of stumbling through the day and the whole world stumbling through the day every day. What's going on? The political world, you know, the military world, the economic world, the pick a dimension of the world, the social world, every bit of it. The moral world is stumbling all over, troubling all over itself there. But, but to the person who, who has learned to hear in the voice essentially of the stars, there he tells us there about them, you know, there is no speech nor tongue. Where their voice is not heard. When somebody there has, you know, has learned to, to, to read the stars and to see what they have to say, then when somebody hears their voices and they learn from them, every, there is no language, there's no tongue, there's no voice, that they are not understood, that they cannot be revealed. You know, the whole world, the Bible tells us, is without excuse. What God has declared in creation, Romans tells us. There utters every human being that has ever gazed up there and seen the glory of God. They're without excuse. There's no ex acceptance of any of their excuses whatsoever. But the person there who has learned to see the two and the difference between the two. This is something so magnificent what David, I think, sees here in this psalm. A number of years ago, we had a pastor's conference that was in uh, Sandy Cove. 
And uh, after the conference, uh, some of us were treated to a trip to the the Bahamas and taken out on this beautiful boat. And Chuck and myself and a couple others were out there. And uh, during the day, you know, we'd go snorkeling and we're riding around on wave runners and doing things. But in the evening, we would go out after dinner and we'd lay out on the, at the top of the, of the ship. And there we're out in the Atlantic and there's pitch dark, far from any natural light, any or artificial light or city light, you know. And it was like the heavens were like a sheet you know, of just stars. And we're laying out there and you could literally watch satellites you know, we're watching satellites. There's a, I don't know how many there are, but you can see these things moving around. You know, they're, and they're all over. It was astounding to see how many of them essentially, you know, that they were. But there, the, the nights are so dark, and yet you, what you could see way, the, the beauty, and rarely seen in a sense. And it was awesome, essentially, there, you know, to look and to see the stars and what they are. Now, something that I think that we don't understand in our day and age at all. And that is that throughout history, until recently, uh, very recently in history, basically all travel was done by the stars. That's how people navigated. That's how they got around. When they, you know, when somebody would be on a ship, you know, there would be the guy, all the ship hands out there working through the day, wherever they're going. But at night, the navigator was out there with a sextant and he who knew the stars He who knew how to read the stars, the constellations, he could actually take all of this and find out where they were and where they, and and, and what direction they needed to go, what corrections that maybe that the wind had blown them off course a little bit during the day. And each night they could make a new, they recorrect, all right? They'd come back and they, the navigator, okay, we got to go this way today to get back on course. We got a little off course. We got, and, and they constantly had these course corrections, but all, they were all done by the stars and how they could and somebody that could read the stars and a person that knew how to read the stars he was never lost he was never lost you could take that person that had the sextant and he knew the constellation he knew the stars he knew the planet and you could take him there and spin him around and you could drop him somewhere there and he may even look around and there's aborigines around or there's bulgarians or there's chinese or there's danish or there's germans or there's hungarians or there's taiwanese and yet you wait until the night comes he could tell you where he is he could tell you what's going on around him he could tell you what direction you got to go because the constellations never change. And, you know, there is no speech, he says, nor, nor, nor words where their voice is not heard. They constantly are speaking. They're constantly, they're leading and guiding there. And these things were there, you know, they're, they're, this incredible navigation system uh, that was there. Now, the tragedy, I think, is somewhat that happens today a little bit, I suppose, is we no longer are guided by looking up. Nobody looks up any longer. <laughs> Figure out. It's all the guidance now since airplanes and all these other things and being able to take photos down. Now what is happening is other people have gone up, taken photos, and they now map out, you know, uh, things for us. And they get from the opposite direction. They used to look down and up. Now, now we, we, we look up. And, and we're up from up and we're looking down is where our mapping systems come now. And, uh, and, and now something, that, that changes an awfully lot. Essentially, now we're just, what is, what, what's the topography today? 
Or what is the immediate world that now we take the photos of somewhat there and we're guided by these maps looking down? It can be very, very deceptive. Now you could take somebody maybe up into, you know, Wyoming or something there and, and uh, you know, you could put him down perhaps and he could find a map and here he sees it's the corner of Fifth and Main or something and kind of works some things out. But if you also now take that guy there in the middle of winter and there's five feet of snow and you drop him down now, there's no street he can see. There's nothing there around him. Or perhaps during the winter, the, the, you know, the street signs were washed out. The bridge was washed out. The, raw, the, you know, the uh, roads are washed out. And now the guy's, he's perplexed. He needs somebody to tell him where he is. He needs some outside to come into. He has, if he hasn't learned to read the stars, he's got to have somebody that has learned to read things for him. And to get, him, and, and, and to get his direction founded for him. Find out what it is for him. But here as he looks there, and you, you know, when you see these, yeah, I actually came back from this trip. I was so you know, kind of enamored by thinking of the stars and navigational system. And you go get some of these charts that they have with the sextant, and they're all lines everywhere. From one star constellation to another, and you know, the person that has taken the time to learn how to read them, which I actually tried to, I got a book, I messed it, you know, and I realized this is way beyond me. I, you know, I, I'm not going to do it. But the, uh, I'm just going to... But I love the story of it anyway, the illustration of the thing. But here, uh, you know, but, but in this, there's no speech. There's no words where their voice is not heard. They're constant. There's no place that you could ever be where you can't be spoken to. There's no event in life. There's no place you can be. There's no place you can be planted or dropped or just there you are uh, that, that you need to be lost. Never at all. And I, I think, that, you know, the tragedy of this is that, though, that when we end up being dependent upon man to tell us where we are, uh, you know, and somebody else's previous experience and their evaluation of the topography, uh, then we find ourselves getting in trouble. He says, their line has gone out through all the earth and their words under the ends of the world. And here is something there with this whole vast array, their lines, their direction, and how they all work. It is something there again. The person that knows the stars knows exactly what David's talking about. Knows exactly on how there you connect and you read and their lines are gone out, the ends of the earth. And, uh, and but their words, they speak. They tell you. They're as powerful as if they were audible to you. And uh, as they come. And so it was something that somebody looking up, whether it's Pleiades or it's the bright bands of Orion or the Big Dipper, the North Star or Polaris or the twin stars of Gemini or Castor or Pollux, Sail. But one after, they look it up these and they can just connect them and they can look and take their Septuagint sextant and figure it out and speaks to them. Because again, these things never change. They've never moved at all. The very structure that Adam looked up and saw, the same stars, the same place. They've never, maps have changed through the centuries. There are Noah's flood, earthquakes, shifting of of the earth's plates. Everything moves around constantly. But they don't. They're sitting. And then in them, in this tremendous structure that he lays out, he says, and then hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. Like in all these connections of these, of these stars and all around, that wherever you are, you know, the earth moving around and everything else, you can find yourself anywhere, figure it out. But then, now he comes down for the grandness of the magnificence of, of creation and of the, the star structure, and now he comes down to our galaxy. 
And now he looks in and he says, in this whole structure, he now is set a tabernacle for the sun. And, uh, and here with the, the greater stars, there they are something that they are the housing around through which the sun kind of comes and is explained and is understood. It rises from the east. It goes to the west. There are certain things about it that it has that, that, that now help in the guidance system during the day if you figured it out at night. That now what you want to know. And then he describes the sun. You know, he says, he says, which is as a bridegroom coming out of its chamber. You know, I mean, you know, it's, he gives this picture there. He's like a, a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, the sun rising, sun coming up in the morning after a dark night. And now the sun begins to come up. And he says, in that, this tabernacle for the sun, as it kind of, it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. You know, there's, there's many, many times and ways that a, a girl can look awful pretty. And, uh, but I suppose if ever there's a day that a man has his best shot at looking decent, it's on his wedding day. You know, when he's, when he's a bridegroom, there he's the groom. You put a tux, you can put a, tu- a tux on a mud fence and it can look all right. You know, but I mean, here gets this picture. There, the bridegroom, he's, he's coming out of his chamber. The sun is beginning to rise. And here it is, and it rejoices as a strong man to run a race. This picture, the sun's rising. And you just get this picture, this strong man about, he's about to run a race. You know, his goings forth have been from the end of heaven under the circuit, uh, uh, under the ends thereof. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. It's almost like there's this pride groom comes out. Sun is beginning to rise. But, every, but now he's somebody about to run a race. And you get this picture almost of this, this runner, this you know, distance runner, the 100-yard dash or whatever it is. But he, you see the guy coming out, and he's all ready, and, he, and he's loosening up, and he's getting down, and he's getting his feet down into the blocks, ready to run the race. He's this strong man, ready to run his race. It's going forth of one end of the heavens there, and the circuit thereof, and the ends thereof, it goes on. And it's this brilliant picture as the sun races across the sky with such regularity, unwavering swiftness. And it's a pointed plan and orbit that it goes. And it's like this picture to me almost now, you might say, of the Lord Jesus himself. This picture there of the Lord who comes, who is there to guide us through the day. But you know, the interesting thing is, is if you only know the sun, now this is a dangerous thing to say, and you need to hear me out. If you only kind of know something of the name of the sun, the Lord Jesus, that may not tell you very well where you are in the sense there. It doesn't provide the individual identity and direction that we personally need. You see, it's something there. You need the whole structure of all of this put together that David is building here. All of these things that he is, that he is working up to. He's going somewhere in his thought here in this psalm. He has a planned message that his sermon he's preaching here. You know, and anybody can take the name of Jesus and use it. The Hindus use it. The Mormons use it. Jehovah's Witnesses use it. Anybody can take the name of Jesus and do whatever they want to with it. And say, Jesus Christ, and then fill it in the blanks. But you need the rest of the Word of God to explain him and define him. You know, there he, the Bible tells us the Lord exalted his Word above his very name. I mean, in this time, in this world in which we live now, anybody can do whatever they want to with the name, but the Word explains his name, defines his name, 
and, and sets it out from all other definitions of it. And here there's something there that is my, that, that now that this whole structure that has been put together, and to me, it's, it's now where we, we need to be able to grasp the, the wonder and, and the importance of this song. Because now he's about to make a shift. He's going to go from this wonderful little story of the stars, going to look at this explanation somewhat of astronomy, and now he's going to bring it right down there from the navigation of the heavens there to the, to, to the leadership of the child of God. And he's going to de- define essentially to me the difference between a man who studies the stars and a man who does not. Because what the stars are to the navigator, the whole of the word is to the student of the word and of the Lord. For then he says the law the law. Now he's going to hone in on the stars of the word. The law of the Lord is perfect. He looks there and he says, the heavens reveal the glory uh, there of God, but, but they're the law. It reveals his message. One of them just makes this incredible statement, God is. But now you come down to the law. And when David, of course, is talking about the law at this point, it's you know, basically the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the, you know, the five books of Moses there were the law at that time. Now we have far more. We've got law, history, prophecy, poetry. It's far more extensive there given to us at this point. But he looks at this, he says, this is absolute. The law is perfect. And again, not merely the law of Moses, but here the whole of the book now is the, that, that we have to, to, to travel on, that we have you know, you know, uh, to be guided by. Uh, with it. It's a perfect book. The law of the Lord is perfect. Absolutely. The book contains this, the clearest possible display, whether of, of God's love, of his power, of his revelation, of his identity, of all. And it explains who he is. Any question that you want to know, answer about God, about the one who flung the stars into the far corners of the night, the one who created us and puts us here in his image. That's the word. That's what defines all of this so clearly for us. And David here in this text, it's so beautiful. You know, again, we've got history and prophecy and poetry. We've got the gospel. We've got far more. But here, there, the, the gospel, the book that we have, it's perfect. In all of its parts, individually or collectively. And he says, and when it is put to use... When these stars are beginning to place, he says it's, it's con- it converts the soul. Here's there's something there that has the capacity to return the, stole, the, the soul to its created identity, to the place where sin drove him out. It's, it's there, the word of God is something there. It speaks of who God is, his identity, his holiness, his righteousness, his demands upon the human soul. There it speaks to him, converts the soul. And here when you look at this, you know, there's so much of what we have out there today. They're man's comment on God's Word. And, and make no mistake about it, that's good. You know, who, who doesn't, you know, rely? That, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. And, and here to, to have these other incredible students and to gather what we can up in there. But to realize in the final analysis, though, the soul is something that it is moved. What moves the soul is the eternal word of God. 
that his Holy Spirit takes and empowers that like nothing before. It moves. It renews the soul. It converts the soul. And here, you know, so much is man's comment on everything else rather than just say, no, I want it. it. I want there, that word to come out there in the, in as powerfully as we possibly can. And he goes on there as, as he looks at it. The, you know, we, we have so many other things we rely upon. But to look there and the final thing is, is that we have his word. The testimony of the Lord is sure. There it is something there. You now take his word there that is down there that is laid out uh, there. And with then, then the testimonies there. Now you've got this incredible thing there of whether, of, of whether Abraham and his testimony, Jacob and his testimony, Moses and his testimony, Joshua and his testimony. You know, we've got one after another after another there that is given to us on how the word impacted human life. And you take that and you put those things together and it is something there that's so powerfully, it makes wise the simple. Somebody that just there, the word of God, is just given and given and given and given and given. It has a way that converts the soul. It renews it. It restores it like nothing else. And then when now you have the addition to that of the testimonies there. And here there's something that takes, it makes wise the simplest person. The simple. You know, there, there's something that, 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 that next thing you know, you've got the simplest human being, the wisest of all. The wisest of all. We are living in a world today. Wisdom is an unknown concept. When you would look at what is, I mean, literally the entire planet. Not just, you know, our state or our country, or Washington, D.C. We are looking at something happen that, that just what is wisdom that has guided society through history is entirely thrown out. There's no sense of it. Because basically you throw out the word and you throw out the testimonies, you throw out wisdom. The, but the simplest person that just simply has those things, <laughs> they're wise. The statutes of the Lord are right. Now he's got one constellation, he's got another. Now he's beginning to draw lines between them. Now as he's setting them out, now as these things are put together, the statutes of the Lord. Here's one constellation, here's one set of stars. Here's, you know, that when you put these things together and you begin to know how to read them, you'll know who you are, you'll know where you are, you know where you've been, where you're going, and how you've got to redirect your course. How have you got to restructure things? The statutes there, the precepts, the decrees, these things of God, they're founded on absolute righteousness. They are right. The statutes, the decisions, you know, the, uh, the decrees of God, absolutely right. Always right. And they rejoice the heart. Something about them there. I mean, mark them. He starts off there with something that converts the soul. The soul is now made wise. Now the, now the, soul, the heart begins to rejoice. Now it begins to get more knowledge, more awareness. It begins to get more of a guidance system going on within them. And, again, and, it, and, and it does this incredible thing there to tell us, you know, that God is, is right. Always right. Wonderfully right in what he does. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Another constellation, another thing set up there. You know, the, no mixture of, of air, 
you know, uh, uh, there defiles it. There's no stain. Just his commandments. They're absolutely pure. Nothing wrong with them. They're, and they enlighten the eyes. It's just step by step. You connect one, you connect the other, connect the other, connect the other. And you're watching a human soul being converted, being changed, being enlightened, getting wise, beginning to rejoice. It's a process. Nobody just steps out under the stars and reads them overnight. I found that out. You know, I, I know the Big Dipper. I know the Little Dipper. <laughs> you know, and I know my kids think I'm the Big Dipper, but that's not actually. Uh, there's a one bigger than me. But the... Uh, I'm not the biggest dip. But anyway, around. But the, he looks there, and there's something there that the, the, the statutes are right. The commandment is pure. It, you know, there, it, nothing defiles it. You know, there, uh, the, something there, the God's eyes, you know, are absolutely pure and perfect. You know, the fallen eye is it's perverted, it's selfish. It's been corrupted with sin. But here there's something that Scripture is 2020. Always pure. It enlightens the eye. And here, you know, you get somebody, they're converted, and then, uh, and then they become a disciple, and then they're rejoicing, and then they have a discerning eye, and now they're able to discern other things around them. Then he goes on, the fear of the Lord is clean. Here there's something there that now this healthy, awesome respect it's not so much to be afraid of, but, to, but we should be afraid of disobeying. We should be afraid of the consequence. That's what it is that when somebody there has a healthy fear of God, it isn't that they're just simply purely afraid you know, of, of Him. They're afraid of being out of His will, being not guided by His Word, making decisions on our own, enlightening our own eyes, rejoicing our own heart with things that are all wrong. But when there's something that all of this is now coupled with a healthy fear of God, that here in having that, the sense of a desire for an inward purity that cleans and wants to be cleansed, and it endures forever. You know, filth brings decay, but cleanness is a foe of corruption when somebody is constantly, cleanse me, wash me. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And now with somebody as they're going through, they're experiencing all of these things. The constellations are out there. The, you know, step by step, process by process, the soul is being converted. The testimony is being followed. The commandment is pure. The eyes are enlightened. They're becoming wise. The fear of the Lord is clean. Now they can step back. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now, when you look at there, that God's judgment in, in, in individual as well as collectively, they're absolutely right and true and just. Every one of his decisions, everything that he does, every movement, every thought, every behavior, you know, it is all something there that is absolutely impeachable. You can't, you'll never find anything of his judgment that are not true and righteous altogether totally you know we go through life and as we go through there's a lot of his judgments that maybe we look at and we don't like and we go for them the losses the trials 
the tribulations, the battles, the struggles. You know, years ago, you heard the story probably. I mean, 1996, I had a stroke, lost the functional vision of my right eye. And uh, then not long after that, I lost a lung. And then after that, I lose a hip. And then after that, the other hip goes. And then after that, one knee goes. And then I had the other. And both knees actually replaced the same day. Last year, I had a shoulder replaced. I mean, it's on one hand. I, frankly, and I was using all of that stuff. I was using all of it. It was very practical stuff. I, I, I did not agree with any of these things going. You know, I was kind of, they were, they were, I mean, they, you, we hadn't got along real well for a while. They were with them, but at the same time, I, I, they, they supported me. They got me around. And here is, but then things begin to go. Things begin to fade. <laughs> things begin to take a pride. Now, I will say, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with the aftermarket parts. I've been, I keep lining up for those things, it seems. But at the same time, you look there and sometimes these things that come upon you in life, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, all of his judgments. Every one of them, they're perfect. And in those things, it's amazing on how what, one of the wonderful things I was just talking to Damien, you know, and we have these things that go on in our lives. But it's something there. I mean, I've always known, you know, ever since I was a Christian, ever since I've been teaching the word, this world is not my home. I've always believed that. But I've also spent an awful lot of energy and effort trying to make it that way. But as the older you get there, you realize, hey, I'm not going to win this. <laughs> I'm losing more ground constantly. And you come to the realization, this world is not my home. It never was. I should have always known it with a greater clarity. But as things begin to fade, to realize there, his judgments are true. And they're righteous. Altogether, if it, if it, if it strengthens my longing for heaven. If it gives me a greater desire for eternity, and then let that happen and let the, the rain fall. Let it go where it is. And he says, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. He said these judgments of God, these things that he does, they're not merely to be accepted. They're to be desired. Things there are to be desired more than, than, than gold, much fine gold. That the greatest things, as we started off, you learn far more at night. You learn far more in the trials. You learn far more of God and who he is and of his glory and of his goodness and his magnificence, of, it, of being close to him. You learn far more of that at night than you do during the day. You don't learn a lot during the day, but you sure can learn at night. And then one day you realize all these things, that it, the judgments, the gavel came down. This is happening to you. One day you realize it's better than fine gold, much fine gold. You know, you look around here at all these tragedies that we think and all these things that go on. And whether you go back and you look at, you know, Nebuchadnezzar who had enough gold to build himself a statue 90 feet gold, much fine gold. You look at Alexander the Great and what he accomplished, the emperors of Rome, the Napoleons, the, the Genghis Khan, the, the uh, Jeff Bezos or uh, Musk or, you know, the car guy, you know, I, you know, I, I, he's, he's trying to make 200 billion work for him, I guess, you know, I, but I don't, I doubt if it's enough, doubt if it's enough for any of them at all. It wasn't enough. I mean, for, if it wasn't enough for Nebuchadnezzar, who's it going to be enough for? 
And he was the, the greatest and the richest of all of them. And yet, there, when somebody looks there, much fine gold, these things, these judgments that you do, they're greater than any of them. And he says, and he says, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. It's not only wealth, it is something there you smile. It is something there, it's like it's the spiritual treasury that are so rich, so wonderful. You look there and you realize, and moreover by them as thy servant warned. Something there, all these things that go on, they guide, they guide you. You know, here's a storm coming. You begin to see the, you know, there, you know, what, what's going on. You see the, the, the storm coming, the trials coming. You see the warnings come, the shipwrecks come. You know, on the way down here, Lewis and I, we got talking, the heartache through the years. On one hand, what has happened in ministry through the last 50 years has just been so wonderful and so incredible. And yet at the same time with that, we see one shipwreck after another and another here and there. Where people that went off and they, boy, they had the ship going and they were doing awesome. And everything seemed to be great. And yet at the same time, God's warnings, they didn't heed them. And they thought they could, you know, slip through or they could handle it. Or they could do something and there was something there. They found there, they, they could not heed the warning. But he looks there and he says, but in keeping of them, there's great reward. There's something there that when somebody just keeps looking, reading the stars, reading his word, letting the constellations, all these things fill him, convert him, strengthen him, bless him. You know, something there, these, these, you know, today, I, the soul, I think, just laughs at psychology and philosophy, stories and this and that, all the things that people listen to that build somebody's sermons. All the little things that they have, you know, that they share. And somebody puts together this and that and a little psychology, a little philosophy. You know, something there from somebody looking at the stars down. Somebody there says, here's where you got to go next. Here's where you, you know, go, go here, go there. Here's where society is. Here's where sociology is. Here's what people need to hear. Here's what's politically going on in the world. Here's your, you know, and all of these things. And they're looking down. There, you know, with these things. And the soul, I think, laughs at anything that's just looking down. But when the word, when the word is there, it's now converted and it's strengthened and it's touched. Who can understand his errors? Who can? What a question. And then he says, cleanse thou me from secret faults. You know, these things that are in all of our hearts and all of our lives. Secrets. 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 We don't even know them. I can remember very well getting it when I got saved. And to me, the, the, the sin was a lot of things that I did. I just got to stop doing that. And if I stop doing that, I'm going to be fine. Well, then I found out, you know, as I'm getting again, well, no, it's not only a lot of things that you do. It's a lot of things you say. And there was a lot of things I talked about, a lot of things that, you know, I was in college, as fraternity, party world, and, the, you know, the whole conversation, the whole thing of life. God says, you can't do that. You've got to get out of that. And then, okay, it was secret to me at time. Then God reveals it, and then you move on. And then it shows me that, hey, you know, it, it's, it's not just what you say and it's, or what you do. It's also, you know, uh, what you think. As a man thinketh, it, and I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm not saying I'm doing it, but I'm thinking, oh, God, now, you, man, you're, where are you going with this? 
How deep are you going? He said, oh, we're, we're, we're just starting. There's more. You don't, you're not ready for it. Then one day you come across, I think Romans 14, 23, whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Oh, man. I missed the mark. And, and then any time I'm not going by faith, I'm missing the mark. I'm heading off course. Something there is happening. My mind is still thinking. Maybe it's not a terrible thought. It's not a sinful thing. It's not any going on. But now secret things are going on in my own heart. I don't even like. And then he says, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. And you know, somebody that doesn't know how to read the stars, somebody that doesn't know these things, and they can't sit up at night and know who they are, where they are, what, what God is saying, what he's doing. That person wakes up at the day, and now when the ship gets up and all the crew gets up, and they say, where are you going? Well, I presume we need to go this direction. He doesn't know. He's making a presumptuous sin. How many of our sins in these mind are presumptuous? Well, I, I presume. I, I, I really don't know. But, uh, you know, if you're asking me for a decision, I, I presume go that way. But I don't know. How much of our, you know, of our direction, of our, our mere, mere guesses, based upon, you know, an opinion that we got from here or there or from ourselves. You know, sometimes we can just focus, and it's so easy. How can you live in this world today without seeing the rest of the world? Without seeing China, without seeing North Korea, without seeing Afghanistan, without seeing, you know, all of these things going on around the world, without seeing, you know, the economy, without seeing the borders, without, I mean, just endless, 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 you know, the, the things going on. Critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, you know, Trump, Biden, AOC, you know, all these things that are just out there. And it's easy take all this stuff, read it up, and then sometimes, well, I presume. wonder. You know, we're looking now and everybody's a racist. We're all racist. You know, I was thinking about that. And, you know, I realized as I really thought about it, I thought, I'm a, I am a racist. I am. And I also think, though, I think everybody is a racist. I think every human being is a racist. Samuel, when Samuel gets sent, you know, God speaks to him and he says, I want you to anoint one of Jesse's sons there to become king in Saul's stead. So he goes over there, and, and you know the story. Next thing you know, Eliab, the oldest, biggest, strongest there, comes before him, and he says, oh, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. He took a shot at it. He looked at it. He picked out the biggest and the best. This guy's probably going to have to take on Saul, so he does it. God taps Samuel on the shoulder, and he says there, one of the most powerful, simple truths there is. Samuel, what are you doing? I'd point him out to you. But then he said something. He said, Samuel, man looks at the outward countenance. God looks at the heart. And you know, all of us, we do that. I walk into a room. Somebody else walks into a room. I see red, yellow, black, white, big, smart, you know, powerful, you know, ugly, pretty, rich, poor, you know, whatever. I did my whole boom. It just takes down this whole little bullet list of, 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 of a human being. Everybody does that because we only see the outward countenance. That's what we see. And so, I mean, to me, I walk in, I go to Scotland, and everybody's awesome. They're incredible people. You should go. You would love it. Unless you're not Scottish. Then you might want to go someplace else. But it's something there. We all like what we're comfortable with. And then everything else is unpredictable. 
But the only thing that ever makes any difference is God looks on the heart. What is different is when the Holy Spirit there fills a human being, then all of that is meaningless. Now they look and they see a human being. They see a soul. They see a, a child of God. They see a relative from the same father Abraham. And now, but it's only, the, the only, only, God is the only one that sees the heart. And the, we have more laws on discrimination in our country than any place in the world dreamed of. And they're not enough. And it never will be until God is allowed to look through a person and onto the heart. But here as he looks at these, at these things, he says you know, to it, and I realize my time's up. But he says, then shall I be upright and I'll be innocent of the great transgression. Here he looks there. I just want to be innocent. Why? How? I want to learn to read the stars. I want to take your word and I want to know it defines me and how I am and how I'm guided. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it is powerful as anybody navigating through any place in the world. And, Lord, I pray for each one of us where we're trying to figure out where we're going, where we're leading, what, are, what you're saying to us, Lord, and each one, every one of us individually. Thank you, Lord, that we're part of a body of Christ, that there's many that we love, but yet at the same time, Lord, you want to have a place within us where we love the fact that somebody else can help us, and they look down and they say, well, here's what I learned, and here's what I see, and here's how I handled this. But, Lord, may we be able to go back and say, what sayest thou to thy servant? Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. I want to see from your word. I want you to reveal yourself from your word, your laws, your testimonies, your statutes, the righteous, everything all together, individually and total. So, Lord, strengthen us. And our love for the word is it seems like the world is going whatever it is and the church is stumbling over itself many times. May we be ones with a clear-sounding truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.